thank you guys. So just a minute ago, I had this bag of bones up here. And I also had a little miniature uh, Milky Way candy bar before the kids left. Um, it was a sermon illustration, and it's gone. So uh, anyway, I take back. Oh, there it is. All right. You, Peyton, uh, Reagan had it okay. I was about to take back what I said earlier about them, but thank you for that. I need this. Um, anyway, uh, glad you're here today. Praise the Lord for our choir leading us already this morning. The Bible says, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And uh, that, what that means to me, among other things, is that while we look for heaven, while we long for that day, uh, like Trey said, we don't have to wait to join that chorus. Uh, we know God. We know the chorus um, of his praise. And so thank God for uh, his goodness to us this morning. We'll be in the book of the Revelation, the last book in your Bible. Uh, and you can turn there uh, toward the end. Uh, it should be easy to find uh, uh, a letter to seven churches, a letter commissioned by the Lord Jesus himself, given through <clears throat> the Apostle John, uh, who was in exile. And it means, means he was thrown out of society on account of the word of God, on account of his faithfulness uh, to preach uh, to tell the truth about the gospel of Jesus. They put him on this rocky island, a, a, a little piece of nowhere named Patmos. Uh, and there he was uh, when the Lord Jesus appeared to him uh, and commanded him to write a letter to take these things down that God would show him in a vision uh, to write them down and to send them out to the seven churches, seven specific churches but also, as we know, seven, the number of completeness in Scripture. This is a letter to the seven specific churches, but also a letter for the, the, the whole church for all time. And so this bears relevance for you and me this morning as well. It's not just some ancient text, uh, but um, it has meaning for us in 2023, right where we're at. And so we're going to look at this together the first three chapters uh, is our series, The Letters to the Seven Churches. And last week, we did the introduction, part of the introduction, and we're going to do the second part of that today. And then next week, we'll start on the first letter uh, to the first church. And so I hope you had a good time at our fall fair uh, last week. Um, it was a successful outreach, and I'm thankful for it. My son Jackson was thinking about dressing up for the fall fair and uh, thought, thought about what he would dress up as, and he toyed with the idea of dressing up as me. And uh, <laughs> I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, Dad, you, you do certain things, and you look a certain way. And I said, like, I mean, I don't understand this. I'm dark and mysterious. No one can figure me out, you know. Uh, he said, no, you're pretty figure-outable. And he showed me. He, he combed his hair like mine, and started doing his hands like mine and clearing his throat <coughs> like mine, you know. Uh, and I looked for a minute and I thought, well, that does look like me, you know. Uh, it made me none too happy, you know, that, that he could uh, make fun of me that way and dress up uh, just like me. In fact, he even showed me how I comb my hair. Not, not how it looks, but the method that I use to comb it, right? <laughs> you familiar with somebody enough? 
you know their qualities, you know what to expect from them, you recognize things about them, and uh, the Lord Jesus uh, brings himself into the, into the presence or brings John into his presence and reveals to him the qualities about Jesus, the things that were going to matter, the things that he would need to know in order to endure the persecution. Uh, we can know the Lord Jesus. The, the Lord Jesus has drawn near to us to make himself known to us. And in times of trial, we need to be able to know what it is we can count on with relation to his character. And so this part of the letter uh, is written, this part of Revelation is, is written for two purposes, a continued encouragement for these folks. They were suffering greatly, not only John, but the seven churches, a great persecution had landed on Christians because of their faith. I mean, they were being targeted and suffering mightily. Pain that was uh, really unspeakable and, 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 and turmoil that was lasting beyond their level to endure. They needed to know they had a higher strength. And so this portion today is written for a continued encouragement for them. But also Jesus is establishing his identity uh, so that they would know his authority to write these letters. Because the seven letters, uh, while at some points they're going to be encouraging and affirming to the good things and the true followership of these churches, in some cases the Lord Jesus is going to look at them and at one point says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I mean, I, I'm, I'm done with how you've been behaving and I'm going to reject you if you're not careful, if you don't draw back to me. And to do that, he is establishing himself as the singular Savior who is authoritative to say these hard things to the churches. Encouragement and authority this morning. And so let's read together, uh, beginning in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible today, these words will be on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good, reliable copy of God's Word. And so we have those in the back for you. If you'd like to take one, don't be afraid to. There's no cost to you, and that's what they're there for. We love you, and we want you to have a Bible if you don't have one. Verse 9, I, John, so this is who's writing. This is his greeting in the letter. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, right? This is the hard times. This is why he's writing. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. This doesn't sound inviting, does it? I mean, you're, this is tribulation in Jesus. There's tribulation in Jesus. You're going to need patient endurance as a part of this kingdom. I'm your brother and partner in that. I was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. You know what that means? That means on the Lord's day, which we celebrate as the first day of the week, the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, the, 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 the day that he came back to life, we celebrate that as the Lord's day. John was apparently on the island of Patmos, perhaps all alone there and was worshiping and in the spirit. Uh, that means he, he was uh, filled with the spirit that day. He was in tune with the spirit. There's days we come in here, if you're like me, if you're flesh and bone, you come in here and sometimes it, in our humanity, it's, it's hard work to, 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 to connect, to engage. 
And other days, it's just the, the spirit flows, you feel it, it's, it's, it's effortless. John is there in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Can you imagine that? If a trumpet blasted in here right now, it would scare us all to death. We'd all jump out of our seats. A, trump, a loud voice like a trumpet is what he heard saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. If you go on in Revelation, it's explicit. These seven golden lampstands represent the seven churches. Jesus is there, and uh, John turns, and he sees the seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man. This is the Lord Jesus. Listen to this description. Clothed with a long robe and with a gold sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. How white were they? So white, he has to do it in triplicate, right? He can't even describe it. They, They were white. And he struggles like, like, like white wool, I mean like snow, very white. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. That means they're, they're like glowing. You ever seen a hot metal uh, fireplace poker or something that's so hot it glows? The feet of this guy, uh, of this son of man, this figure, the Lord Jesus, were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Those seven stars end up being uh, the, the seven angels or the seven messengers of the church to the churches. In his right hand, he said, held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and Hades. Jesus is telling them here, there is a power in the church that doesn't depend on the member's strength or weakness It doesn't depend on our wealth or poverty. It doesn't depend on our intelligence or illiteracy, our high status or low estate. The power in the church is the Lord Jesus. And we are shown three glimpses of that this morning. The first is this, Jesus is near to the church. Jesus is near to the church. Where might you expect to see the Lord Jesus in this imagery? Maybe on a high throne in the power of heaven? Maybe reflection of him on the cross where he gave his life for us. The, the, the apostle turns around and he sees first thing, the Lord himself among and moving in the midst of where? The seven churches. The Lord Jesus is near to the church. He inhabits his church. We are important to him. We matter to Jesus. And what an encouragement that would be to these folks who are suffering And what a strength I hope it is today to those of you who in very specific situations are suffering this morning. We don't know about your situation. We don't know what you're facing, the treatment that you're in, the diagnosis you've received, the results you're waiting for, the betrayal that you felt, the loss that you've suffered. We don't know. 
But what an encouragement today to know that the Lord Jesus is near to those who are his. We matter to him. Our little dog, Arthur, uh, is at home. He's a little guy, uh, and he loves these little bones right here. Uh, they're called dream bones. I've thought about tasting one myself before. I mean, they smell good. They look good. They smell like cheese. Um, and uh, boy, he loves these. And they're hard to find. Uh, we keep them up on a tall shelf in the pantry. Uh, but one day, uh, one of the kids made the mistake of leaving them down on the floor. And we left home. And by the time we got back, Arthur had found them. I, don't, I think he looked pretty hard and pretty quick. And he was laying there in the living room floor on the carpet, just on, on his back with his belly up like this. Shredded pieces of this plastic bag were everywhere. Fragments of bone were all over the place. And he had a smile on his face <laughs> that doesn't really belong on a dog, right? Uh, we, 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 we go and we place ourselves in the midst of the things that are important to us, of the, of the things that matter to us. And the Lord Jesus in this moment uh, brings himself near to the church of God. Uh, if you're feeling like God has wandered away from you, forgotten you, that his gaze has turned elsewhere and you've been left behind, I want you to know this morning it's not so. There's encouragement and strength to know that Jesus is always near his church. There's encouragement there, but there's also accountability there. Not only does Jesus care about what they're suffering, he cares about what they're doing. He is the standard. He is the measure for what we do as a church. We're accountable to him. Your life is accountable for how you use what he's trusted to you, for what you're doing with your salvation, for, for how you steward, for how you shepherd your time, how you shepherd your relationships, how you shepherd uh, your money, how you shepherd your life. We're accountable to God for that individually. But as a church also, we are accountable to the Lord Jesus. What we do means something to him. He's watching us. He knows us. He's near to us. It is significant that the Lord is found in the midst of his churches. And that's because the risen Savior is a personal Savior. He does not stand far off from his people in their suffering or in his watchfulness over our mission. He is near to us. Let us be found near to him this morning. But secondly, not only is Jesus near to the church, Jesus is the power of the church. Look at this description of Jesus. It's, it's amazing. The appearance of Jesus here is no accident. It is a purposeful description in graphic terms of the deliberate message for the people of God. And the message is this, Jesus is not the same as you last saw him. How's the, how did they last see him? Maybe in meekness. How did they last see him? Maybe some of them last saw him on a cross. Maybe they thought of Jesus, maybe wrongly, but saw him as a victim, helpless and defeated. After all, they're staking their lives on this. It's costing them dearly. Are we really going to place all that we treasure on the foundation of one who was killed? Uh, is that really someone we're going to follow today? I brought a picture I want to show you that may be familiar to you of the Lord Jesus with the little lamb. Maybe you've seen pictures like this of Jesus. Maybe you've colored a coloring book, kids, in Sunday school of Jesus. 
gentle, mild Jesus holding a little lamb, petting it. And that's okay. But the, the, the Lord did not want to leave them with that picture in their lives. Jesus now is a risen Savior. That's not only then, at the vision of the revelation, that's on this day, today, right here. This is Jesus as he is now. That's why I brought this micro candy today. I remember when I was a kid, we had little candies like this for, you know, for trick-or-treat or for fall fairs like we had at our church. They were called fun size. You remember them? Fun size candy. I mean, they were about a third of an actual candy bar, and they were kind of fun, right? They, there was a little bit of fun to them. Then they shrank them, right? Not to this. They shrank them to what they called mini, mini size. That was shameful enough. I found this the other day. My kids brought home candy from the fall fair. I found this thing. I opened one up to eat it. Milky Way is my favorite candy bar, uh, by the way. And I opened this up. That, that's like micro size, right? You might not even be able to see it from back there. <laughs> it takes more calories to open the wrapper than you get by eating. It's just, just patently un-American. And so... I thought of that because the Lord Jesus, in this sense, God is giving us a description of him that reminds us that, that Jesus is no small Savior. Uh, Jesus is, he has no small power if we're tempted in our lives. If these folks uh, in Revelation had been tempted to think, well, there's nothing Jesus can do for me. Is the hope of salvation real? Will deliverance actually come from all I'm facing? Is it worth it for me to declare worthy is the lamb who was slain? The Lord Jesus appears in magnificent glory here. Listen to this description. His clothing. You remember he had a long robe and a sash around his chest. This signifies that Jesus is the great high priest. This clothing was exactly the clothing of the high priest uh, given throughout Scripture, and Jesus is that great high priest who has gone before us where we could never go on our own. How were the gates swung open for us to, to gain entry and access to the presence and fatherhood of God? They were swung open because the Lord Jesus himself burst through them on our behalf to make a way for us. He is the great high priest. His hair is white, 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 triplicate white. That signifies that he is the eternal God. This is, this is a representation of Godhood. Jesus is the eternal God. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Jesus sees his church. He sees us in our suffering. We're not left out. We're not forgotten. And he sees us when we need corrected, when we're going the wrong way. We, Jesus sees his church. His feet are like glowing metal, right? like, like something refined in a furnace. Jesus is the life of the church. He is that force which animates us. He is that force which moves us. We don't sit still. We have a mission to fulfill. We have a job to do. His voice is like many waters, the roar of many waters. You think of an ocean and a hurricane season, trying to have a conversation there on that beach and being just totally drowned out by the roar of those waters. The Lord Jesus speaks it means Jesus is the church's authority. The stars in his hands, the messengers of the churches, that could have been angels. Uh, it could have been the, the pastor elders of those churches. 
but at any rate, it means that Jesus is the message of the church. We have a singular message, and that is that Jesus saves. There is salvation through his blood. The sword, Jesus is the defender of the church. Jesus told the apostle Peter that it, uh, upon the fact that he himself was the savior of the world, he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. We're gonna be here until the Lord Jesus comes. I don't know about this edifice on this corner. I pray that we will be, but the church of the living God will be here until the Lord Jesus returns. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He defends us with his sword and his face is shining like the sun in full strength. What type of sun? At full strength, right? The UV rays are 11. I mean, Jesus shines. That means Jesus is the glory of the church. What is our glory today? Our glory is in Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen from the dead, exalted and coming again. We have a glory, but the glory is not our glory. It is not uh, something that belongs to us. It is something that is trusted to us. And the message here is that there is no other power worthy of the church of the living God. We should seek no other power than Christ alone. We must settle for no lesser animating force than the full personage of the risen Christ himself. It is he alone who has the power to comfort the hurting people of God. It is he alone who has the power to command our lives this morning. And he possesses both. We have no excuse for letting our lives be fueled by any cheap impostors. We had a barbecue lunch yesterday that was fantastic. I mean, it was the best barbecue. I say that truly. Uh, and the guys, man, you, I mean, incredible. Turnout, incredible. The money we raised, incredible. I'm thankful for the barbecue. But I pray that this church is never about barbecue. You see what I'm saying? I'm thankful for that. But I'm, 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 I'm also thankful we're not about that. I'm thankful for the candy at the fall fair. Listen, as much as I complain, I ate plenty of it, okay? I'm thankful for the candy at the fall fair. But we can never afford for our success and our victory to be based on barbecue or candy by leaving out the personage of the risen Christ. It's all about him. I'm grateful for the financial health that our church has, and I praise God for it. It wasn't always that way, but we cannot be about money, can we? That is not who we are. That is not the center of things. I'm thankful for our tremendous staff. I, listen, I could go on and on about this, and I praise God for you guys wherever you are right here today. I can't really see you right now, but listen, God has blessed us so richly in that. But I pray it is never about personality. Don't you pray? I pray that you're never attached to personalities here, to success here, to riches here, to barbecue here, anything else that leads you to be here other than glorifying the risen Son of God. It cannot be about these other things. Jesus is the power we need, and he's there in their presence. A church can fake it. You can fake it if you want to, but there's only one true source of real power. Jesus is the power of the church. Make no mistake about it. He leaves no room for us to forget it here. But lastly, Jesus is the redemption of the church. Verses 17 and 18. It's a dramatic picture of redemption that takes place. I mean, the apostle John is not even facing the direction of the Lord Jesus. 
He hears a voice like a trumpet from behind him, and we see a, a turning take place. If, if he didn't turn, he would never have received the revelation from the Lord Jesus. There's a turning that takes place. And when he sees the Lord in all this fearful glory, what does he do? He falls in terror to the ground as if a dead man may be paralyzed in his fear. Or maybe he's choosing to stay very still because of this figure, the Lord Jesus, and the awful and awesome glory that he's seen in there. We see a dramatic picture of rescue when the Lord Jesus, instead of, as John's on the ground there, smiting him for his unholiness, for his sin, instead what? Taking the right hand, the commissioning hand, the sending hand, right? The authorizing hand and laying it upon the apostle and using two words, what? Fear not. Do not fear. Don't fear this fearsome scene. I mean, you've just done all this, stars and voice and feet and eyes and hair and clothing and face and sword. Uh, don't fear, the Lord Jesus lays his hand and says, do not fear. It's a beautiful picture of redemption here. And another source of strength. At the barbecue lunch yesterday, uh, one of you invited a friend from work. And I met him on the way in and introduced myself. And this man was in law enforcement. Uh, and he looked uh, the part, right? A big old guy, uh, like just thick with muscle, right? Crew cut, looked at you with his eyes squinted so you couldn't tell what he was thinking. <laughs> I reached out and shook his hand and he just, uh, just meat just grabbed my hand and just, <clears throat> just locked it down. You know, made eye contact with me, just looked me right in the eye and like, I dare you to look away. I mean, that's, that's the impression I got. I always look at someone's face. I like to when I shake their hands. But in this case, like, I wanted to do what John did. I wanted to fall dead on the ground for just a moment. His son was falling behind him who was like eight years old. I put my hands in my pockets for him. I was like, I don't even want to, <laughs> I don't want to go through this again. Um, I'm just kidding. I shook his hand too. Um, but you could tell immediately he had the goods, right? Uh, he had what it took. Uh, this was a guy uh, who could back up what he said. And the Lord Jesus is giving a, another picture of strength here. Uh, he, he communicates to John, fear not because I've got the strength to do what I say I'm going to do. I, I can back it up with who I am. And there's an image here of who the Lord Jesus here is here. He says, fear not for I, he doesn't say for, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. What this means is he's eternally sovereign. There's never been a moment when the Lord Jesus was not in control of all things. There's never been a moment, uh, not in the present, not in the future, where everything in all creation did not answer to him, where, where all wisdom, where all decisions, where all actions did not answer to the Lord Jesus. He is eternally sovereign. So when we're suffering, when we're hurting, things aren't out of control. They are in his control. Does that always make sense to us? No, it honestly doesn't. But we can take courage in knowing that it is true. The Lord Jesus is eternally sovereign, the first and the last and the living one. But also he's preeminently powerful. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. He's the only one who can say that. 
He's the only one who can ever say that. Colossians says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be what? Preeminent. I mean, there's no one above him. He is preeminently powerful. He can hold them when they need held together. But lastly, he's supremely irreversible. Notice this. Who is it that holds the keys of death and the grave, of death and Hades? It's the Lord Jesus alone. That means he's the key holder, right? Who he secures for salvation, you better believe they're secure. The Bible says who the Son has set free is what? Is free indeed. There is no one else who holds the keys over life and death, over death and the grave than the Lord Jesus. Isaiah 14 says this, this is the purpose I have determined for the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. Listen, for the Lord of hosts has purposed and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? Right? The door that he's the one that uh, no man opens the doors that he has shut. No man shuts the doors that he has opened. He holds the key of death and the grave. He is supremely irreversible. What that means today, if you're here this morning, if you're listening to this sermon somewhere else, and you say, well, you don't know the darkness of my sin. You don't know the places that I have walked. You don't know how deep it goes. Uh, the Lord cannot forgive me. There's no salvation for somebody like me. Yes, there is. Jesus Christ can save those whom he saves. He holds the keys to death and the grave. If he wants to save you, listen, friend, you can be saved. But also it means that those of us who are fearful in our salvation, who think, is God strong enough to keep me? Is God strong enough that I would endure to the end? Is God strong enough to hold me? The Bible says that no one will be able to snatch us from his hands. Why is that? Because he is the key holder over death and the grave. And he does not lend his keys to any other power. You are secure in Jesus. He is supremely irreversible. Jesus is able to tell those who turn to him not to fear. He is able to heal and restore and forgive because he is that singular key holder over death and the grave. He is able to lay his hand upon sinners who find that the fierce power of God is in fact the power that saves us and that falling in fear, he is able to restore us to fellowship. That's the Savior that we're worshiping this morning. That's the Savior who calms our fears. And so as we end today, I want to ask you just a few questions. Where does your power come from this morning? What's the source of your power? What's the source of your spiritual life today? Are you drawing from the dry well of your own resources? Is, is this church doing that? It's, it's always our measure. Are we drawing from the dry well of our own resources or have we found that well of water springing up to eternal life, the living water by which we will never thirst again? Is Jesus your source this morning? If Jesus our source this morning, if not, you can go to him today. You can go to him for salvation today. He is a, he is a God who saves. 
If, you, if you're a believer this morning and you've walked away from Jesus, your source is somewhere other. I mean, you're operating on fumes this morning because you've forgotten the power of the Savior in your life. You can come back to him today. Let me pray for us.